Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Peter Sherman in for Alex Pearson. And you've heard the word autism probably more times than you'd like over the last little while because of how Ontario has been grappling with this and how now we're going to approach it, which it it seems uh, is in a way and at a level where we may just get a level of satisfaction that is positive. But there's some things about autism that I didn't know and that are surfacing courtesy of some research being done both in Canada and Denmark, particularly in Canada, in Montreal, and it's appeared in the Journal of the American Medical Association Psychiatry. Now, here's something you might have heard. Globally, the number of people diagnosed with autism has risen dramatically in recent years. And in the United States, for instance, it's gone from less than 0.5% of the population in 1966 to more than 2% now. In Quebec, the number is approaching 2%, so similar to what we're finding in uh, the States. I imagine it's similar in Ontario then. In 2018, the Public Health Agency of Canada estimated 1 in 66 Canadian children are diagnosed. What's interesting about this study, and the Journal of the American Medical Association Psychiatry is nothing to be trifled with. It's a serious journal, and this is serious research, is that there's so much diagnosis, you've got to ask yourself, a question or maybe uh, a dual-edged question. One is, is something changing in our environment where there are more people who are autistic, or are we just simply diagnosing autism more often and maybe blending the whole thing into the population so that if we keep going at this level, everybody is autistic? And I'm not making a joke out of this. So we have a guest who participated in that study. Her name is Isabelle Soulière. She's professor at the Université de Québec à Montréal and co-investigator of the study. Hello, Isabelle. Hi. Thanks so much for taking the time out and and joining us. Uh, You heard my introduction. Tell me something. Is there more autism around, period? Yes. Yes. There are more and more people who receive an autism diagnosis. Well, there's a difference between more people receiving an autism diagnosis and there's more autism around. This is what I'm trying to mm-hmm. ascertain. Are, are yeah. we are we just diagnosing people who in the past might have been, I don't know, this one is too quiet. That one talks too much. This person has a bit of an obsessive compulsive uh, tendency, but they're, but they're not really um, severely autistic. Is that what we're talking about? Mm-hmm. I, I think you're raising a pretty good point. Um, we are diagnosing more and more people with an autism diagnosis, but uh, we don't know if the real incidence of autism is rising or not. I think with the years, we are becoming more and more efficient and more and more knowledgeable about autism, and so we are better at detecting the signs and uh, the diagnostic criteria they have changed and broadened with the with the years, and I guess also our I, our kind of clinical threshold before saying someone is autistic they have changed with the years. I guess well, uh, you know, I'm I'm fascinated in this. The person you're working with is a research psychiatrist named Laurent Motron. 
And he's effectively saying, if I'm reading this correctly, and I'd like you to comment on it, that uh, we, we, we're diagnosing so much autism with people who are either, there are severe uh, cases of autism, but there are people who have some issue, maybe their speech development was a little bit slower, but they're, they're, so they may fit somewhere on the spectrum, but they're not going to have a difficult life. But the problem is, if we're doing that, we're calling everything autistic, and if we keep going in this direction, um, one begins to wonder how we're going to differentiate people who need legitimate help under the auspices, for example, of a government or an education system, which is really one and the same thing, or people who are going to get along just fine. What do you have to say about that? Um, I, I think uh, he's right that uh, we are giving diagnosis to people who have um, who are less and less different from other people, from other neurotypical people. But I, I would just like to add some nuance to it. I think people who receive a diagnosis, maybe uh, 15 years ago, they wouldn't have received an autism diagnosis. But still, if these people are seeking help, it's because they they feel different or they they have problems, they have struggles, they have issues. And sometimes in our systems, if you want to get help, you you need uh, some label, some some diagnosis. Otherwise, you won't be eligible to anything. So, um, so I, I think if we say let let's remove the autism diagnosis of those who are on the border, I don't think we are solving the the problem because these persons, if they are seeking a diagnosis, it's because. They need it for something. They need the the thing. They need help. I understand that, and I and I don't want to try. And I hope nobody listening thinks that we are or I am in any way trivializing the 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 idea of autism. It's not a trivial thing. But uh, according to what your your uh, lead researcher is saying, the understanding of autism has evolved from a narrowly defined clinical picture of a spectrum of conditions of uncertain similarity, and they warn that this is a blurring of the line that could potentially make it more difficult to study. And so uh, Professor Motron is saying the criteria for a diagnosis have become trivial, his word, not mine, including a child's lack of friends or a dislike of haircuts or the tags on their clothing. Yeah, yeah, this I totally agree that our our way of applying the criteria has changed. And to begin with, these criteria, they are not uh, 100% objective. Having less friend or having less eye contact, it's kind of a not objective. And we are stuck with it because we don't have any bi- um, biological marker of autism. So the only thing we have to make a diagnosis is behavior. And then we have to decide where we put the limits. And it's, it, it's not a trivial question. It's not, it's not easy. And what we discovered in our study, we reviewed some research from the last 50 years. Uh, we reviewed hundreds of studies. And we have discovered that uh, the, the group difference between a group, let's say a group of autistic participants in a study and a group of non-autistic neurotypical participants, uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the differences between the two groups were really marked and pronounced and, and huge. And now they are kind of disappearing because the 
autistic participants are getting increasingly different one from from another and also less and less different from a neurotypical group. Well, and the problem is that, and this is in your research, the diagnosis is becoming more complicated because you've got what are described as mild forms of autism. So I guess I'll, I'll cite that example again. Kids being overly concerned about uh, the tags on their clothes or parents being concerned because their kids aren't making friends at the same level mm-hmm. as other kids are making friends. And and then we get into the whole issue of, okay, is my kid autistic as in serious enough to have uh, interventionist type of treatments and uh, go to special classes or be addressed in a different way in school? And uh, as you may know, there's, there's quite a discussion about funding for autism well mm-hmm. i was going to say in ontario where we're broadcasting but uh beyond ontario as well who gets funding and who doesn't these are decisions that have to be made and what do we draw the line at and so before i get you to answer uh, before you came on the air I, I gave an example to our audience everybody i know thinks they're normal normal is really a scale isn't it it's it's a great big wide scale and if you're anywhere on it you're kind of normal but there's no one person who is the absolute epitome of normal and there's no absolute epitome of autism of autism either is there No I don't think there's an epitome we're just changing I guess over the years we are changing what we considered enough different from normal from what we consider normal and uh, I um and so the this kind of limit is is slowly changing because people are getting more and more aware of the type of differences or 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 threats that it it takes to 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 be called autistic that we consider autism um uh, so when we see one sign, two signs, three signs in our kid, we're we're concerned, and we, oh, maybe he's autistic. And if he is, uh, I would like uh, him to uh, receive the best options for learning, for uh, for having success. Of course. So, so this this is total totally legitimate. Well, let's from, finish from, lo- the, from the parents. Okay. Yeah. Well, it is legitimate because parents should be concerned, and that's where I want to leave it. We we haven't we're kind of out of time, but I want you to answer very quickly one last question. If somebody's listened to this and has said, "Wow, my kid exhibits signs like that," should I be having having him or her looked at to find out whether there's some uh, differentiation from what is quote unquote normal? Uh, or is that just parental concern? That uh, and and what would you advise them? Go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think um, as a society we're getting more and more anxious about all the little things that are not absolutely right on normal. <laughs> so so I, what I say to my friends say okay don't panic. Let's see what happens, and let's see how your kid develops. And don't panic to the first sign. But if you have concerns and you see a few signs in your kid, then you can you. It, it's good to seek advice because you you don't want your kid to grow up and not know why he's so different and why does he struggle in the group? Why does he struggle at school? Because the school is not um, the 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 pedag- pedagogical methods are not for him uh, are not designed for him i hear what you're saying and i thank you it's good advice i appreciate your time isabel suyer thanks for joining us 
Okay, my pleasure. All right, Isabelle Soulier is professor at the University or Université du Québec at Montréal, the University of Quebec at Montreal, and co-investigator on this important study being done both in Canada and Denmark. I am Peter Sherman in for Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio 640 Toronto.